Welcome to Off the Press Podcast. Never before have entrepreneurs had such close access to the gatekeepers of the news, and here they will give you jewels to help you put your own name in the headlines by learning secrets to sending perfect pitches, turning news into story ideas for the media, and becoming a true asset and resource to the media in the industry. Join us as we talk to influential and insightful journalists and media professionals and get insider advice and tips to help you land your next or first media feature on national TV or even the front page of your own hometown newspaper. Our guest today is Michael Butler. Michael moved around with his military family to places like Panama, where he has a number of family members. He moved to Philadelphia for AmeriCorps service and went on to graduate from Temple University in 2016 with a degree in media studies and production. Since then, Michael has freelance for publications like Philadelphia NPR Affiliate, WHYY, and online music publication, OK Player. In 2020, Michael reported on Philly's tech economy for technically as a reporter, as a report for America's Corps member. Today, Michael is a business reporter for the Miami Herald and focuses on trends and affordability in Miami's real estate market. Welcome to Off the Podcast, Off the Press, Michael. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Taisha. And yeah, I'm really excited to talk about my journey and some of the work I do. Awesome. Thank you so much. So let's start at the beginning. How did you end up becoming in um, into the media space? Where did you get started? How did you get interested? Tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, so for one thing, uh, I always have been interested in media. Um, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself at this point, but when I think about media, I think about going through all the issues of like Vibe Magazine. I think about going through all the issues of Double Excel. And, you know, I love music. I mean, I also still make music. Um, but I would just remember, like, reading these articles and these long features on, like, the history of Bad Boy Records or, you know, a long feature on Mary J. Blige's life. Just these most random stories, it seems like. And that's what got me wrapped up into it. Um, I grew up thinking to myself, like, yo, it'd be cool to write for one of these magazines. That, mind you, I'm showing my age <laughs> because magazines now are not as much of a thing. And um, as I got older, um, I started asking more, more questions of, like, you know, the events and things I would attend. So I, I love going to music concerts. Now, I still like it, but maybe not as much as I did as a teenager. And so I always wondered who those people were that were asking the artist questions. Like, you know, how do you do that? Like, how do you literally become that? Do you, do you go to like some kind of finishing school or something? Like, do you take a training seminar? Like, you know, what, what is it like to do that? And over time, I realized like, hey, Mike, you know, you could be a reporter, you could be a journalist. And so um, eventually when I moved back, when I moved to Philadelphia and decided to go back to school, it occurred to me that, okay, I can study like media or communications in college and actually start learning some of these like more hard skills, if you will. And it just kind of like evolved from there. Uh, I'll be very, very frank with you. I don't think I ever saw myself becoming a business reporter at the Miami Herald, right? Um, not even in the sense, some people say, oh, this is my dream job. This was never something I had thought about. Uh, and I say that in the most positive way possible. Uh, my father's side is from Miami. Uh, they are they are based in Carroll City. And so when my grandmother was still alive, she used to read the Miami Hero like every day. 
I only was into the comics and the sports section. If that, like, but my grandmother had this big, it was like the size of a Sears catalog uh, edition of the Miami Herald. And she used to read all the time. So I said it to say, like, I mean, it's been a really interesting journey, but I think media works like that. Like, you literally never know what direction you're going to go in. And, uh, you know, that's that's been some of my journey so far. Awesome. That is a great journey. Um, I do want to say that, listen, <laughs> you say you're dating yourself with the magazines. Me as well. Like, magazines was also, like, my first introduction to media. Like, just something about a brand new vibe or Essence magazine, shiny. I love the way the ink smells, the, <laughs> the perfume inserts. Like, that's definitely a thing. And print magazine is not like it used to be. You know, things are so, you know, digital. But, man, print magazine is still the move. <laughs> They're still the yeah, move. Sure. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. So let's talk about you at the Miami Herald. You were, you know, surprised to end up being a business reporter. Um, could you tell us like how that came to pass that you ended up in like business reporting and real estate in particular? Because that's that's a niche. Absolutely. And that's a great question. So for me, when I had been freelancing, I'll just go back a few years. I had been freelancing for maybe two, about three years before my um, previous job. And as a, when I was freelancing, uh, for people out there who might not know, I essentially was a contractor for different media companies. So if, for example, uh, WHIY, the local NPR affiliate in Philadelphia, uh, commissioned me to work on a project, then boom, I'm hitting the ground for them. And I'm doing a number of different things. Uh, for example, I was reporting Camden, New, Camden, New Jersey, uh, you know, so shout out to South Jersey. And you know, I was a contractor. So same thing with somebody like, okay, player, hey, Mike, you know, uh, X dollars for each different story. I was contracted with them. I did that for two or three years. And I say it in this way because as a freelancer, I was able to report on a ton of different subjects. So everything from race and ethnicity to uh, city politics, I report on everything. So, you know, if I can't say anything else, I tell people how important it is to be versatile because I want to show people that you can do different things. You don't necessarily have to do like all of them, right? Uh, throughout your career, but to at least show like a prospective employer or even like a client, if you're an entrepreneur, hey, I we can put past this person. Like they can they can handle it. So I said I said this day, um right before that, right at, literally right before the pandemic started, because that changed most of our lives, I got accepted into a fellowship, a Report for America. Uh, it was a great process, experience. And I ended up at Technically Philadelphia. Technically is a business and tech publication based in Philly. And I stayed in, in this way because before then, I had never been a full-time business or tech reporter. I had written on the subjects just like anything else, but I was not immersed in those beats. So I, so I look up, um, I started tech reporting, I hit the ground running. And, you know, thankfully I was able to bring a lot of my own perspective to the table. You know, a lot of times people don't realize in media when people are hiring you, they're not hiring you just so you can be the cookie cutter 
uh, job qualifications person. Like if you check in some of those boxes, that's great, but they're hiring you for you, right? They're hiring you because you have your learned experience and you could probably see the coverage in a way that nobody else can. Uh, so I was able to do a lot of cool stories that kind of connected my own experience as a Black and Latinx race and culture reporter to what was happening in tech in Philly. Um, and so I did that for two years. So when by the time I got to Miami Herald, you know, all they're seeing is like, wow, this guy has a ton of, he, he's done a ton of work as a business reporter, right? Which is super funny because, you know, I hadn't been doing this for a decade, but in media, like in most of these jobs, your nine to five is an, is like every single day you are immersed in your coverage area. So two years in media, I joke with people, it feels like, I don't know, five or six years in another industry because you are wrapped up in that. You're making calls of people, you're emailing people like they're your best friend or something. Like It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle, for real. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> you know, and so I digress, but that is what got me to the hero as a business reporter. And I think it's worked out pretty well so far. You know, I really enjoy it. I'm learning a ton. Uh, and to your point, real estate is a niche, but we're experiencing a housing crisis across the entire country right now. You know, it's not just South Florida. It's not just Miami. It's everywhere. You know, I got to see somebody while I was in Philadelphia, unfortunately. So, you know, the need for somebody that is like hitting the ground running, is passionate, energized about it is super important because, yeah, Florida real estate is different. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> We're sure. Probably a lot of high price real estate as well. So changing the game. So let's let me ask you this. Do you find your own stories that you're covering in the Miami Herald or do you get assigned stories or a little both? Like how do you get your stories? So it's a little it's a little both a little of both actually because what ends up happening is well, for example, when I first started, mind you, I don't know anybody from a pot of paint. Right. Uh, you know, I had not yet hit the ground running. And also with COVID, it's changed a lot of the ways in which we would typically interact. Uh, you know, I saw that definitely in Philly in my previous stop, where if a story required me to just drop by somebody's place of business or to meet them at a coffee shop or, or wherever they want to go, that wasn't happening. So it, it took me very back to the basics of like, hey, call people you know, be on the phone with people for like 20, 30 minutes, stuff that like a journalist in this era or that was trained in this era, you're not really thinking that way, right? Uh, everything is digital. Everything is, oh, I know the comm person or the communications person for that. Boom. They got me on the email. Duh, duh, duh. But no, like COVID said, you literally have to start calling people again. You need to start scheduling time with people. Like this is like going back to the 1800s all over again. And so for me coming to Miami, a lot of it initially was like, okay, hey, we had this story here for you. We had this story here for you. Boom, 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 go get it. But as I've gotten more comfortable down here and as I've like started to build up my own source list and build my own contacts through these individuals, I've started to get a better idea of what is happening in the community and what needs needs to be met. So, you know, it's, been, it's, it's like a 50-50 thing. A lot of times my editor will, will tell me, Hey, Mike, whatever you have on your list for today, like, you know, push it out the table. We need you to go over here, like, you know, this afternoon, literally like this afternoon. Or, hey, it's 4.30 I'm more, and I'm thinking I got my whole plan set for tomorrow. I'm going to do this. I'm going to call this person. 
my answer was like, hey, Mike, guess what? Um, we need you over here. So put a photo assignment in so the photographer can come. But yeah, we need you over there. So at the end of the day, it's all about priorities. And, you know, I, whatever my editor puts at the top of the list instantly becomes top priority. Uh, but a lot of times I am able, I'm pitching a lot of my own stories. And I think that's working in a really special way because one of the big reasons I feel like I was brought here was to do a lot of my own storytelling. And that's super important as a Black and Latino reporter in Miami, Florida. Awesome. Can we break down that word? That's one of my favorite words when I talk about media, storytelling. What do you define as like a newsworthy story? And like, what does storytelling look like to a media person? So this is that. This, this is an excellent question. Hopefully this could be instructive for anyone out there that is trying to pivot into media or a student that is like building along in media. Storytelling has all the elements of what you would hope to read. And I say that in a sense of like, as much as you're doing this in your own mind as the writer, as the reporter, at the core of this is the reader. And you know yourself as a reader. And so I say this in a way of which if you're reading something and you have a question, like chances are there might be a missing gap there or there's something that could be elaborated upon. And that's what reporters and editors, we're thinking all of the time. Like I literally, I talk to, I'll talk to my editor like for 10, 20 minutes at times about story pitches, pitches I've sent him, not even, not even the pitches at this point, really just drafts. Hey, Mike, you said such and such said this over here in, in this graph. Um, yeah, but you don't expand on that. Like there's a big, there's a big point. There's a big spot, uh, place. There's a big opportunity, I'm trying to say, for you to expand on that more. You know, you're, you're scratching the surface with that quote. That's a great quote, but we need context. Like, yo, add context here. Because what ends up happening is I look at it like when you, if you don't even think of it as a professional, right? Just think of it as you you know when you watch the movie that you didn't care for. And not because you didn't agree with the concept or you didn't like the cinematography, but you just, you'll be thinking to yourself, like, that script was trash. Like, people don't talk like that. Or you'll be thinking to yourself, like, there's a huge pothole here. Like, why in the world did this person say that? Like, why did they say that they were going to bed for an hour and then there's a time jump and they're still in bed? Like, r- random nonsense. And I don't, I don't think of writing as nonsense. And like, and I'll, I'll say this about my own, my own work in a sense of like, there could be something that maybe like my eyes are glossed over because I interviewed this person four times, or it was a busy day. My editor would be like, "Hey man, you know this is good stuff, but over here you should, you should beef this up." Like, think storytelling starts with the core of like how you would explain a story. And one of the best ways to be more concise, because I know I'm kind of going in circles. If you imagine you had something you're going to tell your next door neighbor, right? Or imagine you had something that you're on the phone with your best friend. You're going to explain it to them from start to finish. Oh, what happened at the basketball game? Oh, well, let me tell you. So boom. Oh, yeah, this was over here. And then such and such got the ball. Simple. Just keep it as simple and concise as possible. That, to me, is good storytelling. Like, I think sometimes people get wrapped up in I don't have the right words like the newspaper is made to be written on a sixth grade level literally like um, 
your magazines, all these things are meant for everybody to read them. So don't worry about using an SAT word or something like that. If it's, if it's a cool word that your editor wants, they can add it in there at some point. But just focus on, like, if you were telling your mom about how your day went, how would you explain it to her? And it always, for me, comes back to that. What's the most simple, concise way I could explain this to the, re- to the person that needs to understand, the reader, and then boom, you know, you're off to the races. But to me, that's good storytelling. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be the most complex thing in the world. There's places, there's a place for all of that. Cool, bet, fine. But at the core, good storytelling is simple, clear storytelling. Anyone and their mama can understand what is going on. Yes, that is a great breakdown. Thank you so much for that. You know, people, you know, we always want to use our, what I call our $10 words <laughs> and then use them wrong. Right, right, right. So yeah, yeah. keep it, keep it simple. Tell us what happened. <laughs> I, look, man, like I'll be honest with you, Taisha, like uh, I had to do a night shift. I think I picked up a night shift Memorial Day weekend and I'm over here uh, working with at one of the people on the night desk agonizing over the right words to use or whatever. And then I'm on the phone with him. And he's like, man, listen, you don't have to worry about that. You're, you're like, you're, you're, you're making it way more complex, man. Like Mike, it's cool. I know we, we all know what you're trying to say. Like the word you have here is fine. You're trying to like jazz it up and spruce it up. That's not necessary. And, and I was cranking up on the phone and I'm like, bro, what you mean, man? We're over here on, on deadline. It's like 9 p.m. at night. Da, 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 da. He's like, Mike, I'm telling you, no one is going to care if you use a $10 word or if you use the, the simple word you're going to use. The point remains the same. And that's the whole thing we have to remember. The point remains the same. Whether I, you jazz it up, you have an angel come down from heaven and give you the word, or if you just write down like the word you're gonna write, it, the point remains the same. It's the same. Awesome. So, do people pitch stories to you? Like, say, you know, there's someone who's um, a real estate agent and you know has a story idea, and they just kind of email you, or someone you know has a business in real estate or home, and they want a feature. Do people pitch you? And if so, you know, do you accept pitches? And what do you like look for? So this is another great question. So I get pitched all of the time. Like there is probably a PR somewhere in Miami or South Florida right now writing a pitch to email me. I, I will put I will put my last dollar on that. I'm certain that like I'm probably receiving a, an email via pitch a pitch via email right now. Um. So yeah. So to, so first of all, I get pitches all the time. Now, what qualifies a good pitch? A good pitch, right? And I think this is equally important for reporters as it is for, you know, a future strategic communications person or somebody that wants to work in publicity. A good pitch for one thing, when you're reaching out to a source, if you don't do anything else, please, like, mention the person by name. Get their name correct. I was just telling a PR recently that I have gotten a number of pitches where it'll say, like, Dear XXX. Like, and like letting me know this is just a template. Like, I, I, I got a template, man. Like, there is it no. It happens to the best of us. Yeah, like. It, we joke as publicists, we like joke about that. Like, it's like worst nightmare kind of thing 
but you know what I mean? You're like one person, you're trying to pump stuff out. Like, yeah, <laughs> and we may customize the pitch like in there, but sometimes you just miss something. It happens. So, it's, our it, bad. We love no, you guys. There's <laughs> no judgment on any, upon any publicist, but I know if it's a busy day, and I recognize that not every reporter would do this. I'm not giving myself a gold star or a cookie or something. Um, maybe it's my freelance background. I just remember what it was like to send out a billion emails a day and not get any responses. Yes. Or, or you might, if you send out, I don't know, let's say 20 emails, it, you might get two or three. And out of the two or three, you may get one yes. Maybe. I remember those days. So as a result, I always try to respond to every email. Now, uh, I know a lot of reporters don't do it. And as a reporter, I can kind of understand why. Because if you're like going through your inbox, you have like 20 minutes for your next call, and then you get a dear XXX, it makes you feel it. Well, it feels very impersonal, but it feels like the publicist doesn't even care. Uh, so the name thing is important. Now, in terms of the core pitch, and I think it saves everybody's time, uh, at, le- at the least try to understand what the reporter reports on. This is so crucial because not only number one, (laughs) number one, it not only would it save the reporter's time, but it will save you time because chances are you might realize, okay, this was never the person I was supposed to pitch. So I could have pitched somebody else at the same outlet and boom, that would have been way easier. I mean, I, I'm generally, I generally am pretty chill. Like, especially if it's a, if it's a PR or a company that I've worked with in the past, I'm like, wow, they, they're like, hey, it might be like, hey, Mike, I know this isn't typical it's of your wheelhouse or what you report on, on the business desk, but, uh, you know, we had this going on. A lot of times I will forward pitches. I will forward pitches to my colleagues, you know, just because like this PR, they're credible. Uh, I respect the work that they do. We have a good working relationship. Even if this is something that I cannot cover or I would not cover. I'll easily send it, I'll easily forward it to uh, somebody on, the, on another desk that, you know, this might click with them. I mean, obviously there are no 100%, there are no guarantees in this. And I, and I think a lot of PR, uh, I mean, I suppose even like emerging reports should know there's no guarantees, right? Like do not guarantee coverage on something. If, if you're a reporter, do not guarantee coverage on something. Please, just please do not do that. Second, you can be clear from the outset, be discreet. Like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to report on this, but then you were putting on my radar. You can you can even say that if you want. Um, as well, as on the PR side, just understand expectations. But a good pitch to me is, you all right, you got the name. Well, A, you get the name right of whoever it is. Just copy off of Google. You don't even know how to pronounce it. Like, y'all not on the phone. Just copy it off of Google. Get the spelling right. Um, understand the subject area. And if you want, as uh, a cute little like piece of advice, I guess, you know, you can even say, hey, I've been reading your recent coverage about this topic, or I read your article about that. Reporters, we love that type of stuff. Because- Do you really? I feel like everybody does that, and it's like, kiss up sometimes. Maybe, I think if it's coming from a genuine place, depending on the relationship with the PR, you might you might be able to discern, like, okay, this person really pays attention to myself or whatever. Like, okay. Because as reporters, our heads are down. People don't realize this. We don't care about how many followers we have on, on Twitter. We don't care about, a lot of us don't care about a blue check. These are things that are obviously we have, but our heads are down. We literally are just like, trying to make the next thing shake. So 
if someone says they read our work, we chances are we're gonna read it, um, good or bad. I've gotten bad comments sometimes on like people with very, very, very polarizing views, but that's a different conversation. So a good pitch. <clears throat> and I want to make sure it's clear. Uh you can articulate just what like the who, what, when, why, and where. Same way as a reporter, that's my job with every story. I need to censor it. What what are we talking like? What are you what what is the subject of this pitch? You know, what do you take your time out of your day, out of your schedule to email me about? Like, why does the subject matter? You know, um, newsworthiness for a journalist is everything. Why is this timely? Why now? That's something I'm constantly thinking in my head, whether I say it or whether I write it out. I'm always thinking about the timeliness of something. Why now? Like, why does this person or this this event, this service, whatever, why does it matter now? You know, as opposed to, I don't know, three months from now, literally. Because that definitely will determine, like, how I'm even thinking about it when I pitch to my editor, right? And this is the whole thing. Uh, because at the end of the day, like, I can like something. I like a lot of things. I'm very, I have a very open mind. But the easier it is for me to pitch to my editor or to my colleagues, like, hey, I think this is a really interesting idea, then the easier it is to bring a story to life. But, you know, but it's those four things. Just like, you know, what are we talking about here? Um, You know, why does it matter? And what's the what what is the timely hook here? Like, you know, why now? If those things are all connected. At, at that point, it's just a matter of like uh, of yes or no, really. It's just a matter of priorities, you know. Like you've done your you've done your work, your homework on your part. You found the right reporter, and now you're just trying to engage. And yeah, I think that's about it. Like, also, oh, one other thing for PR in particular, the follow ups. If you see that somebody hasn't gotten back to you in a couple of days, it's all right to follow up with them. Like, you guys have clients. You guys have your own priorities. So, like, do not be too cool to follow up with somebody because I think the other day I had, it was like the other day I had, like, 60, 70 unread emails, and they're all of value, you know? So, like, if I don't get back to something immediately, it's all right for you to just, like, follow up with me or something. Because at the least, I, at the least, you know, I'll, I'll say thank you for following up or, the, you know, whatever. But just to get keep it in my radar, like there's so much stuff happening every single day that a lot of times reporters we don't get to see we don't get to fully absorb every email right so in the event that say someone pitches you a story or an idea and you're like oh you know maybe i'll do this when you're checking that person out what are you looking for are you going to their website their social media what are you looking for when you're like vetting someone out to either use as a source or to possibly uh, do a story about? Oh, I'm vetting everything that I can, to be quite honest with you. I'm vetting everything that I can. So, for example, perfect example, like uh, I had interviewed uh, Jamie Diamond. He's the, I believe he's the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, right? And his position is every bit as elevated as one would imagine jp morgan chase is one of the biggest finance companies in the whole world now on the core on the, at, the, at the core of that you know i have my own questions i want to ask like okay what are we doing here what are you doing you're visiting miami etc but it's really under being able to unpack certain things so i think i believe he has like a don't call me on this but he his his net worth is several is like uh, multiple billions right 
Now, I could just Google that and figure that, find that out. But being able to contextualize it and unpack that in my questioning and my storytelling, even for Q&A, is really important. So I, I use him as an example because this dude, is, this guy is a public figure. But being able to, like, read between the lines is super important. If I'm doing this with somebody who is a Fortune 500 CEO, I am definitely going to do this with somebody that I know from around the way. If that means, like, with Google, you can literally Google anybody on the planet and information will pop up. Oh, wow, man, you got a rock band and you play, in, play with, like, once or twice a week or whatever. And you work, you work, uh, you work at, you know, the power company during the daytime. Da-da-da. Like, okay, like, you know, just to get an idea of people, you can Google people, uh, you can research people, but if it's up to me, which as a reporter, it generally is, I'm vetting everything. What does your Twitter look like? Do you post racist stuff on your Twitter? There's no way in the world, like, I have to talk to this person. Like, unless this person is like an elected official or something, that's a whole other conversation. But is this person, do they, are they tripping on their social media? You know, like, do do they, are, do they seem like a, uh, I don't want to say unsavory, like I'm not a guy's gift or something. But these are when we're vetting sources, this is what we're thinking about. Like people may may imagine, like, wow, yeah, this sounds like a really good story. Um, a case in point. I recently wrote uh, I write a lot about housing affordability in uh, Miami, and I we got a, a pitch, a letter to the editor actually, about a family that was facing eviction in North Miami. And initially, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. And so my editor was like, okay, well, you need, like, go, you should go out and meet with the family. Like, you should go get an idea of, like, Mike, is, is this legitimate? Or, you know, is this somebody with, you know, a, a, just a beef with their landlord, like, independent of, like, ethics and stuff like that? Like, maybe they destroyed the kitchen or something, and now they're trying to, like, get their way out of it. Um, I went to meet with the family and sure enough, it was not, it was very much legitimate. You know, their situation reflected that of many people in in Miami-Dade County in the city of Miami. I met with this family all together about four different times for one story. And I emphasize that. I met with them four different times for one story. So this idea of vetting sources, I think has never been more important because we live in an age of misinformation, of disinformation. So somebody can have a ton of followers on social media and be saying lies every day about COVID-19, about race, about politics. And if you're not careful, all you're thinking is, oh, wow, they're really popular on Twitter, man. They're really popular on Instagram. I'm like, are you really looking at what they're, they're posting? You know what I mean? So vetting is super important. But believe you me, us reporters, especially at a publication like the Herald, we're looking at every little thing, every detail that we can. Yes, 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 because you have to have that accuracy in, in reporting and all the fact checking with so much, you know, the fake news now, you know, it's it's definitely important. So people need to, you know, uh, be having their best foot forward if they <laughs> are wanting, you know, to be in the mass media and be seen that know that, you know, you guys as journalists are checking them out, you're vetting them, 
you know, not just on a, like a professional level, but also, you know, like an ethical level, do they even vibe with who you are? Because what I like to call people, I I tell people that the wild cards, right? Nobody wants to bring the wild card to the office. Nobody wants to bring the whack dude to the party. So, you know, I tell them, these media have to vet you out because they are bringing you to their boss. These are, they're not always the last decision maker, you know, and you just have to make sure that you're bringing in somebody who's going to be legitimate um, for you. 100%. If it makes sense, it makes sense. But like, yeah, if it doesn't make sense, then, you know, you know, that I, we might not be talking to this person for a story. Can't but, risk it, right? Yeah, can't <laughs> risk it. Our, credibility is like super important to a journalist. Everything. So, um, so in the event that someone, um, so say that you do a story like the, you did about the family or just kind of any story, let's, let's say this like a business because a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs. So say that, you know, I'm in the real estate industry, um, or, you know, like a home decor business and you did a story, you know, about my business. Um, and I share that all over social media. Do you check to see, um, if people share your stories or do you know, like, are you able to, see how much traffic you're getting to an article and if so um does that ben- how does that benefit you if it does this is a really really interesting question I, I would not have thought about that so i think we live in an age of analytics and metrics you know that data basically decides everything you know if i write a really well-reported investigative piece about a chicken farm and that does all right in terms of metrics, but a video of a chicken running in a circle at that farm goes viral, then obviously I can't really argue with what people are responding to. But in in a nutshell, it kind of doesn't, the metrics matter maybe to my bosses and my supervisors, but realistically, it's more so like, does this align with the reporting that we're doing if that makes sense? So for I say it's for, so in the last several months, I've been writing about housing affordability. Now, I am a real estate reporter by trade at the Miami Herald. I mean, really a business reporter. But I don't always write about mansions and penthouse apartments. Not often. I have, you know, in my time here, but I don't really often do that. Uh, why? Because anybody with eyes and probably a bank account can see like how expensive rent in Miami is right now for anybody. And so if you're an entrepreneur, one thing I'm always thinking about is like, how is what you're doing relevant to the coverage that you want? And you're a PR. I was just telling somebody about this recently. You have, hmm, how do I say this? Okay. So uh, on social media, we have what we call vanity metrics, right? Like vanity metrics, where in which if you go on Instagram and see somebody has 50K followers, all you're seeing is that they have 50,000 followers. They're a regular person, you know, quote unquote. But if you don't unpack that, you may not realize that this is just one platform. This is just social media. Or that even they possibly bought followers, which happens very frequently, right? So the thing that you always have to think about is like, what what really matters most to you in telling your story? If you're an entrepreneur, don't think to yourself, I want to be in the biggest publication out there. Think to yourself, I want to be in the right publication. So if you realize that 
good example. And I love talking about uh, my sister's store. So uh, my mentor, one of my mentors in Philadelphia, she's literally like a sister to me, uh, Janae Robinson. She's a PR by trade, but she also is a black hair enthusiast. And she opened Martian, Maine, a black hair care boutique on South Street, a very popular, prominent street in Philadelphia anyway. Big shout out to Janae. Big shout out to to Janae, man. Uh, Janae definitely, like, helped me gain polish as far as media. Because I was very raw some time ago. I was very, very rough around the edges. And, you know, Janae, like, it's interesting because she was, every time I'd be like, hey, sis, while you're in essence, while you're on Blavity, while you're on all these leading Black publications, you know, She's like, yes, Mike, I'm also a PR. Like, I know how to do good PR, but at the end of the day, good PR doesn't necessarily translate into sales, right? Good PR doesn't, like, you can have the best pro- public image, but your biggest priority as an entrepreneur is how is this going to get people to my business? How is it going to get people buying my product, sell, buying my services, whatever that might be? And so I go back to like, okay, everybody wants to be, for example, in the Miami Herald. It's the preeminent newspaper. We just want to pull it through the newsroom, congrats to the newsroom. But like, does that make the most sense for you in South Florida? Like if you are, if let's say, I don't know, if you sell bundles in South Florida, maybe it'll be more beneficial for you to get exposure in like, I don't know, I don't know, Blavity or something like that or or essence like maybe that would be would make more sense for you to get you the kind of traction you're looking for because you get one story in the miami herald unless you are like this prominent public like in miami it might not move the needle for you as an entrepreneur uh it might not be your audience it might not be your audience that's why this is exactly what i'm trying to say (laughs) you know i mean conversely you could be an entrepreneur who could definitely benefit from coverage in the miami herald but it's just like knowing what, knowing like the value of what it is that you say that you want. You know, uh, I think about social media this way all the time. You can have a, a ton of followers and you can have a ton of the right followers. And studying journalists and WPR, that's usually the case with them. They have a ton of the right followers. Like they have maybe 3,000 followers, but like a third of them have like blue checks or something crazy like that, Right. So, like, they know that anytime they're tweeting about a story or a job opportunity or work or whatever, or they're looking for a source, who knows? Chances are a reporter is going to, re- if nothing else, is going to retweet that as opposed to, like, oh, you know, you say you're popular or you have a bunch of eggs following you. No, at the end of the day, nobody cares about, like, your follower account. Like, in the real world, like, no, you're not going to walk outside. Like, you literally have to be Beyonce or Rihanna or Drake for anybody to care about you walking outside. Chances are, like, not me, not you, whoever will listen, that's not the case with them. So just understanding, like, what you seek for your, what you want of your PR coverage. Like, the first time you're talking to that PR, a good one anyway, I would think, if they're going to tell you straight up, like, okay, this is what we can make happen. This might be something that is a little bit off the charts. Or maybe as you go along, they explain to you why it doesn't make sense. Setting expectations. Yeah, you right. have to, yeah, you have to, yeah, come in with measured expectations because if you're an entrepreneur, last thing you want to do is just throw money recklessly because you have it. Yeah, man, I want to be on the cover of Billboard magazine. And it's like, bro, like, 
you make you make you have a sandwich business. Like, why do you want to be on the cover of Billboard magazine? Right. Like, I, you, <laughs> I tell people often when they say they want to be on the cover of like say Billboard, I'm like, have you been on the cover of your local hometown magazine? That's exactly. <laughs> Can I, we start I, somewhere? <laughs> I will very quickly digress, but this is the whole thing. Like we look out to the stars in the cosmos for coverage and whatnot, but you need to be hot in your own backyard, or you need to at least like know who is hot or what's going on in your own backyard. Hometown hero is the move. I tell everyone that. Do the hometown hero thing first. Yeah. That it's the move. It's the people who can relate with you the most. It's the people who are going to see you out and be like, oh my gosh, it's you. I follow you on Instagram. You know, you, it's just going to catapult you so much to do your, your backyard. Tell people, put on for your city first. Put on for your city. You can't. You just, you, know, <laughs> man, you can't. I mean, we laughing, but it's real. You can't buy that kind of publicity to say that like you're at the mall with like, you know, your, your, your friends, your family. Oh my God, y'all, like in this age of social media, you cannot buy better publicity. Wow, I ran into such and such at the Foot Locker and they were the most cool person in the world and they they were hanging out with me for like five minutes. The the, the, people go crazy over that. To me, that's the new autograph. It is, it is. It's how social media works with publicity. Yes. Before that picture, tag me on IG. Yeah, tag me on IG. (laughs) You know, that literally will make people's day. And I don't think that enough entrepreneurs understand that because as I look I'll be honest with you every reporter is not gregarious every reporter does not like doing cool podcasts with Taisha what have you a lot of people they like being in the lab you know and I think that's the way with professionals across the board you got some NBA players that just like being in the gym all day like a Kawhi Leonard they don't even care about nothing else all they want to do is hoop enjoy their family and that's it then you have other people that are a little bit more friendly, like, you know, like a Draymond Green, for example, who is like, he has a whole podcast. He's outspoken. Tom Moran, hometown hero. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's from my hometown. Shout out to Sumter. You know. South Carolina. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm from Augusta, Georgia, so I know all about South Carolina. Uh, But, you know, those things matter. And so entrepreneurs, a lot of times, I've talked, I've interviewed entrepreneurs, and I've had these entrepreneurs where they've told me as much. They're like, I do not like doing any media stuff. I have a communications person for that. And in my mind, I get it. I totally agree. If I could afford my own communications team or whatever, this probably would be a different conversation. But nonetheless, I'm joking. I am joking about that, I think. But, Thank you. I get it. I get it. Listen, I need my own team. Right. The whole thing is, it's like people need to connect with you. People need to connect with you, the business person, because your communication person is not the person that they're Googling, that they're trying to find out more about that your communication person is not a person they're buying products from, they're buying services from, they follow on social. That's you, the entrepreneur. People connect with you for your story and you are your brand in essence. And that's why the best entrepreneurs in my, as I've seen as a business reporter actually, are they're able to pivot so many different times because people were never buying into their products. People were buying into them, Right. And whatever that is, whatever, like, you know, if somebody you, if somebody you think is eccentric, somebody you think is this, whatever, they're like, Rihanna to me is the epitome of that. Okay, first she sold your ringtones back in the day, right? Then next thing you know. I almost forgot about that. Man, you're dating us again. I'm telling you, man. Listen. The ringtones. <laughs> I, I, I know. I ain't even had no cool ringtones, man. We was from the bottom, but 
you, Rihanna sold you ringtones. Then she sold you Puma speakers. Then she's selling you like skincare and makeup. And never once do you question it because it's all it's all Rihanna. Literally, you're not. This stuff is the stuff is cool, but you're always gonna buy into it because you align with Rihanna. Uh, certainly, I would say the same thing about Beyonce. The thing you are buying into is Beyonce. Whether the credibility. Want, the credibility. Across the board. Whatever the, you got, I want it. <laughs> exactly. And it's crazy. It's it's like mad science when you think about it, but it's simple. Like the same people about Hasidario are buying their kids Ivy Park, right? It's simple. It just makes sense. You're not buying into it because of like, oh, if I tomorrow, if I become a construction worker, I start a construction company, people are going to say, wow, I like Mike. You know, like, you know, I've always been whatever he's doing. And I think that's the thing that people need to give themselves space to do in this age of entrepreneurship is to be versatile, like versatile, excuse me, like say that you can do different things and be all right with it. Because I don't think any of us is, none of us are defined by our jobs. You know, at the end of the day, none of us are defined by the work we do. So people are always going to connect to you because it's like they say, you know, people will never remember what where you know how much money you made duh, 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 but they remember how you made them feel and so that's what all this media stuff is about like I've had so many moments where like you know I I, I made a good impression and I was able to just connect with people on a human level and that led to much bigger things but if I couldn't have done those first things or if I would if I didn't do those first things I would not have a media career I just with be that connection I, yeah, I'll be very straight up. Like, if there's somebody that says they want to be a journalist for awards or whatever, I'm like, man, you picked the wrong career for that. Like, this is it's a very competitive industry. Like, I had to remind myself. I mean, I get good reminders all the time, but this is ultra competitive, and you're not making a billion dollars as a journalist. Like, you know, in your however first several years or whatever. So it's I look at it like it's the NBA in some ways. Like, you know, there's only one championship team every year. There's only one MVP every year. That's it. There are 30 teams. You can do the math. Like, like your hometown here, John Morant went very far in the playoffs. He has a great career ahead of him. He didn't, you know, like, he didn't make it to the finals yet. You know. Uh, well, listen, did, but did you hear about the contract? Like, consolation oh, prize. That was, that That'll was be fine. <laughs> but he got that bag, right? He got that bag. He still got the bag. I'm sure he's bag. still fine. <laughs> That, that's a lesson for a lot of entrepreneurs out there. It's like, man, you might feel like you took a bunch of L's, but listen, things are all right. And so I say it in the sense of like, you know, you polish your people skills. You know, if you're, I, cause my thing is this, if you're just shy, you're an introvert, then that's something, you know, like being around more people, duh, 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 you can build on, but if you're somebody that's mean or you're somebody that's nasty, Nah, this is not the career for you because, like, it's a lot of times when, like, you'll be out trying to work on a story if somebody doesn't want to talk to you. Um, I had I had a source recently, and I was laughing about this with my team uh, at work. I had a source actually like yell at me on the phone and hang up on me. Like, I, I was doing good journalism, mind you. You, know, they don't want to be held accountable and stuff like that. But yeah, I had a source saying. Yelling that's not head. surprising I'm, I'm not surprised by that this is one of my questions though have you ever been covering a story and you felt like in danger nah, like we, nah. we know why about that miami day now nah, so <laughs> nah, 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 i've yet to feel in danger 
Okay. Um, I can say that a lot of those, like how you carry yourself and how you're holding yourself, I'm not bulletproof. I am absolutely not bulletproof. I'm not above any kind of reproach. But I just try to be mindful of like my surroundings uh, at all times. Maybe that's just kind of how like I was brought up or whatever. Um, like case in point, like you're not wearing Balenciagas if you're going to report like in the trenches or something like that. That's not good. That's just not. That's not smart. That's just not smart, guys. You know. And you know, I've re- I reported on some very dark stories. Um, like I, I did reporting in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, Camden, for anyone that's uninformed, is a very small South Jersey city. You can walk to it from Philadelphia. Uh, it's historically had a very high murder rate. And uh, it, th- that town is an example of what happens when all the factories in the city close down and there are no jobs and there's a lot of black and brown people. You know, like, we always get the short end of the stick. And yeah, Camden is it, like it can feel bleak at certain moments, like uh, where I was like where I was reporting. But knowing that going in, doing my homework, I'm just like, okay, I'm here. Like I'm just really chill. I'm really regular. I like I'm I look like anything, not horrible, but like I am not shining or anything like that. every day. Every people, day, yeah. Yeah. Because that's what people relate. At the end of the day, that's what people relate to. If you know for your in your in your heart of hearts. You don't walk around in a three-piece suit or whatever. Shoot, even if you do, <laughs> like, just find a way to, like, hey, relax a little bit, loosen it up. Because a lot of the best quotes and things that you're getting from people, like, and it's a privilege to hear people's stories, are when, like, everybody is comfortable, you know? Um, and you don't know what people have been through. I mean, God help me. I, I, I remember interviewing a mother who had lost her, her son to gun violence. And what connected us, I think, was like just being real and being able to relate with each other, you know, as as individuals, you know, um, there are not a lot of black and Latino reporters out there. There need to be way more. And I'll say that 10 out of nine times. Mm-hmm. But being able to identify with people that look like you is invaluable because when you're going into an, an environment, you probably have. A, you can get a different level of context or perspective that maybe a white reporter may not get. And this is not throwing rocks at white reporters, but it's just being, it's being very direct, you know? Yes, it is. It's, it's real. It's why I do what I do, you know, yeah. on, on my end. For sure, for sure. So like, that stuff matters, you know, that stuff definitely matters, but I've not been in danger, like knock on wood, uh, with my life yet. It's funny you ask that. Like I have colleagues and mentors that have actually like, been photographers in like Iraq during the war and their stories are like like mind-blowing but uh today with all the different reports I've done I don't feel like I've ever been in danger okay great well that's awesome <laughs> that's you. good that's, that's things that we worry about you know I'm like oh man are they scared out there you know in the field you just you know, are in so many different places with so many different people, you know, a lot of emotionally charged things sometimes. And so we tend to wonder, you know, how safe it is, but that is great. So let me change the tempo just a little bit. And let me ask you a question. This is a question that I love to have um, because it's kind of a controversial question in like the media space in a way. Um, what is your view and your policies on things like gifts and food and things? People ask me this all the time. They'll get a story covered and they'll want to send like a thank you gift or something to journalists. And I'm like, no, no, we don't do that because that's an 
ethical thing. So can you talk to people a little bit about that, um, about, you know, like wanting to send a gift to a journalist or send them lunch or, you know, all kinds of things. People ask me about that all the time, but I feel like it's kind of a if-then mm. kind of situation. What's your views on that? So there's like a journalism code of ethics that I can go through, but I'll tell you just like I was telling like a seminar of like college kids or something, or just anyone that is like trying to learn more about the business. Realistically, and maybe it's a room with rule of thumb in general, like you're not trying to, you don't, you're not trying to, you're not going to accept anything that you feel is going to compromise your judgment in reporting on something. Uh, and, and, and as much also, at a base level, if I, had to, if I had to, like, put in terms of metrics, something you can measure, like, you're not going to be, like, trying to, you don't, you're not accepting something that you couldn't buy for yourself. That's a very, that's a very real way of putting it, especially as I like that, I like that. When your budget is already only so much. So, for example, if I get invited to an informational meeting with a source or, uh, you know, a communications person, Oh yeah, you know, like oh, like if it's something like breakfast or something, or like a cup of coffee or something, that's minimal. Um, I don't really, I don't like bad an eye or whatever. But at the same time, like if there's somebody that's like, yeah, you know, you know, we're offering you like a free night hotel stay or something, then I'm like, bro, like I can't accept this. This <laughs> is like, like no, it's not like regardless, like who cares if you want to, you don't want to, like no, like it's just it's like this out of order. You know, what I mean, that's out of order. I think as journalists, it's a unique space to be in because our industry is unregulated, right? Like, there's no like uniform code of law across the board. Maybe in, like other places, they do different things, but as a right, role- that's why it's so hard for me to answer this question when people ask me. <laughs> yeah, nah, I know it's a great question to ask, but as a real estate reporter, like, you know, I was blown away the first in person that I went to down here. You know, I was I dressed I was dressed rather presentable. Um, I would say, but I didn't have on. I wasn't dressed nearly as nice as everybody there. You know, they're passing on champagne and stuff. I'm just there to see like uh, a colleague who was on a panel. Da da da. It's different. Miami is different. A lot. So much here is driven by optics, and so like as long as you can have a clear sense of yourself and like what matters to you, what doesn't matter, then it's whatever. Like. But generally, in my head, I think about that a lot. Like, it's different if, like, if I'm invited to a luncheon or something that I'm on assignment for or whatever, you know, okay, cool. But, like, if it's, like, if it's something just outlandish or whatever, then, like, I'm like, nah, man. And especially if I feel like it could impact my coverage. Like, right, sway you possibly. If it's something that could possibly sway me, it's like, bro. Or, or something that people could think could sway you. Exactly. Perception also. Like, yeah, like, um, you know, oh man, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we had him on a trip over here or whatever. Da, da, da. So you know, he, we have him in our back pocket. Like, so much of like what we see in politics and like business can feel that way. And I'm like, nah, that's not. It's not over here, man. It's not. It's not over here. So I, that's a great right. question. Thank right. you. Yeah, thanks for answering that. Man, you have been dropping so many jewels. I've been just like letting this go. But we are getting down toward the last couple of questions that I have for you. Um, And one of them is my favorite question. And it is if you could be featured somewhere in the media, where would you choose? And like, what would your headline be? If I could be featured somewhere in media? You, yeah. Where would you want to be on the cover of something or on a show? And then, like, what would the headline or the caption be? 
That's interesting. I would. That's a really great question. I mean, uh, I so I I love my my newspaper. So like maybe it would be like a um, behind the story feature for like a Miami Herald or like you know you know just and it would just it could be something where like I can even write first person talking about myself, uh, my journey, you know what had what influences my reporting, you know. Or just, and just some things I consider, but it'll probably be something for the arrow, honestly, but just a behind the scenes feature. Because one of the reasons I'm so active on Twitter is I think it's important to humanize myself as a reporter. I'm not just, I'm, I'm literally not just some ransom blue check person yes. on Twitter. Like I have an identity. I have a soul. I do have a soul. You know, I am not a robot. Uh, and so I think it's important for people to understand that to be able to get a better idea. Because a lot of times, especially in this age, people might think of, of a journalist or a reporter as like a cog in a machine, where in which it's not that way. And, you know, so just being able to like convey like, hey, this is me, this a little bit of, uh, of my life, my personality, I think it'll be super important. But it'll probably be for the Herald. It'll probably be for the Herald. It's not a so, I do not respect other outlets or publications, but... You know, you know I, I love reporting for the Herald, and it'll really be dope to be able to show people like what I got going on. What would the headline be? Oh, uh, simple. It would be the best is yet to come. Nice. The best nice. Is, yeah, the best. It'll be the best is yet to come, and then put like Colin Michael Butler talks about that. Um, that the best is yet to come is an affirmation I picked up probably around twenty fifteen when I was in, when I, when I was in college and I was about to, and this is probably a great way to close. I was this close to finishing my bachelor's degree at Temple University at Philadelphia. I'm an owl. I am a proud owl. I was like everywhere. And I remember my last semester, uh, my financial aid had run out. My Pell Grant had run out. And I remember sitting on my best friend's steps in North Philly just like, bro, it was like, it was like August, September, like, bro, man, I gotta pay for this, I gotta do this. And um, I did, I literally would just start, I, every night I would just start tweeting, like, the best is yet to come. Like, hashtag the best is yet to come. Every night before I go to sleep, I would tweet the best is yet to come. And uh, it became an affirmation for me. Like, you know, no matter what it seemed like you're doing right now or where you might be at this point in time, there's always something better ahead for you. You know, like, whether that's personal, that's family related, whether it's professional, you know, like, so if you're hit right now, you will not be hit in the future, you know, just stay the course and do all of that. Because like I said, I was going to the financial aid office my last semester, every Friday morning, I kid you not, every Friday morning, my last semester, like talking to the ladies in financial aid, like, hey, have y'all got any updates for me? And they, they basically found a grant out of nowhere, <laughs> like, for me to finish up my last semester, get my degree, and keeping it moving. Um, but, yeah, the best is yet to come. It would be the headline. It, it's a summation of so many feelings I had in terms of, like, just, Awesome. Yep. I love that. I love that. We can tell that you're, like, a very dope person, dope soul. Let me go back for a second because you said past something that was really important, the mm-hmm. Miami Herald just got a Pulitzer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You sped right past that. Shout out oh. to Miami Herald, the newsroom. That is amazing. Awesome. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, Miami Herald got a Pulitzer. 
Um, and, and for full transparency, I started like in December of last year. Uh, so it's a long story, but um, the Miami Herald got a Pulitzer Prize for reporting on Surfside when the condos collapsed. Yes, yeah. And I believe in the value of local journalism. I believe in the value of local news because, you know, we had all these other national publications come in and they had amazing teams of reporters. But for many of us, this is our own backyard. So our newsroom, they all just stepped up and did amazing work. But local local journalism to me is like that. Like who else could write about Sunset, South Carolina other than somebody that went to high school there or they're a native of the community, right? You know, like they have a unique experience and understanding of the dynamics that somebody from, let's say, you know, North Dakota wouldn't understand off the right. My, and the connections, the connections. Connections. For sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, thank you for bringing it back up. Uh, you know, my colleagues, they're all super amazing. Like, they're all, they are all like that. I tell everybody this. And I, am I biased? Maybe a little bit. But, like, all of my colleagues are world-class at what they do. Whether they're on the, the reporting desk or they're visual people or they are audience engagement. They're social media people they are all at the very top of their games. And so every day I get excited to work with them because I know that like, if they're up here or whatever, then like, I want to make sure that I'm up here. So it's a camaraderie in our newsroom and it's really dope. Like, Nice. Congrats again. Um, what do you hope listeners take away from this conversation? This has been like a dope, dope I, this is already going to be like one of my favorites. I already know. So, but what do you, of all the jewels that you share, what do you hope our listeners take away from the conversation? That's a great question. I hope that listeners can uh, understand that they can do whatever they want professionally and find success. Uh, and that it starts with like authenticity you know a lot of times we have to have those difficult conversations with ourselves in the mirror about something we want to improve something that we can we can fix whatever but like you can definitely make things happen especially in media right now because you know gone are you know I work at a legacy newspaper so it's full transparency guys I I do do that However, you know, as somebody that has freelanced for a number of years and see how media has changed, even from when I was in high school, like there's so many avenues. If you want to start a YouTube channel, go and do that then. You know, get you a camera off of Amazon, get you get a get a cool, you know, background, start making YouTube videos. Like do that. If you want to, you know, just make tons of TikToks, do that. If you're more of a blogger type, build your own website and just create content for people. Because when I was that much younger, I almost only thought of it happening at a paper, at a magazine, a website maybe. But now the opportunities are like endless. Yes, the gates are open. Gates are open, man. So just get started, you know, just just hold yourself accountable and get it started. You know, it might not be good at first. I wasn't the best writer when I started out. I'd I'd tell anybody that, but if you put your heart into it you'll get a lot better nice nice thank you so much so can you tell our listeners how we can support you in your work and how we can connect with you absolutely yeah so i am on social media fairly frequently uh, and my at is 
M-I-K-E-V-I-I music. So it's M-I-K-E-V-I-I-M-U-S-I-C. It's Mike 7 music because I started out making music so long ago now. Uh, Mike Roman numeral 7 V-I-I music. And that is my ad on Twitter and Instagram. I'll make sure to put it in the show notes for everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. How can we support you? What can we do? Can we share? Can we retweet? Like, what can we do to support you? Yeah, like for one thing, just definitely please retweet uh, my work. Uh, you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm, on the, I'm a business reporter at the Miami Herald. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that people can find that. Yeah, but just read my work, share my work, um, engage with me. Like I have my work email in my Twitter bio. Like I actually do response to emails. So like. I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like I do respond to emails. So you can tell me how crazy that was. Uh, you can tell me how uh more of what you would like to see like you can dm me on twitter i do i have my inbox is wide open you could dm me obviously nothing crazy but yeah reach out to me you know i love like the connecting that happens with social media and yeah like so i mean that's you know that's how people can like can reach out to me and you know it's, it's more cool stuff ahead can't tell you what but more cool stuff ahead